Greetings, greetings, and welcome to another brand new episode of Out the Box Talks. I am your host, Krill. We are here for episode 75. I want to thank all of our listeners, all of our viewers who tune in to Out the Box on a regular. Remember, you can always catch us on our website at outtheboxmedia.com. You can go to that website to get acquainted with all the good things and all the recent to even older interviews we've done with artists throughout the years. Today's show, we have a very, very special guest. He is a brother I've been watching do his thing for a long time now. I mean, going back to like 2008, 2007, possibly just seeing him come up, you know, coming from Brooklyn and just really like making a name for himself in this hip-hop world and just rising to success. He has a brand new album out right now entitled All the Brilliant Things. Such a great album. If you guys have gotten a chance to check it out, then you know what I'm talking about. But even beyond that, he's released a number of projects within recent years. I mean, and even going all the way back to like 2009 with the Salvation Project, I mean, and this brother has been consistent, not just with putting out music on a regular, but putting out quality. So without further ado, I want to welcome to our Out the Box Talks listening and viewing audience, my brother who is hailing and native also to my town of Brooklyn, New York, representing with this new project, All the Brilliant Things. Uh, right here at Out the Box. Welcome, my brother, Sky Zoo. Please, please, what's going on, man? That's, that's a wonderful setup, man. I appreciate that. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to have you here. I mean, as I was saying earlier, man, before we jumped on a live, like, I've seen your growth, brother, and I'm so happy to give you your flowers, as you say on the album, right? I want to give you your flowers now um, because you have done a lot, man, and you have continued to keep the uh, quality of lyricism at the forefront in your music. So thank you for being committed to the culture and never straying, man. Oh, man, thank you. You know, first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And all the words and everything you just said, man, it means a lot, you know, so I appreciate all of that. And I don't take any of that lightly. So it's it's uh, very humbling and, and I'm honored by it all. And I'm just here to do my part. Indeed, indeed. So we got some things to talk about today in regards to this new album, All the Brilliant Things. You know, um, it like I said, it, it was released, what, like about maybe less than a week ago, just kind of hit the shelves, you know, but um, I do want to just bring people up to speed with you, man, and, 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 you know, get them to get an idea of what's been going on with you recently, man. I know last year you put out the Milestones EP, which was like my favorite EP of last year, but talk to us about what's been happening with you to this point uh, where you decided to put out this album. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Milestones is one of my favorite projects as well. It's inspired by my son and my father and Father's Day and all that stuff. So thank you. Uh, but with this album, you know, it's it's an idea that I had for a while. I started working on this album 
in August of 2019. So it's, it's been a little while. I would take breaks. I work on it a little bit, chill, work on it a little bit, chill, because I had other things going on. You know, I was working on milestones, which was kind of time sensitive because it had to come out for Father's Day last year. Then I was working on, um, you know, ghostwriting stuff for other people, obviously. So that takes up time. Then I had vocal cord surgery where I, I couldn't speak for a month. You know, I had a polyp on my on my vocal cord. They removed that. So I was down with that. Uh, COVID hit. So it was hard for me to get in the studio. Yeah. I actually wound up building a studio in my crib because of COVID. You know, I was always going to different studios and doing the whole thing. And then when COVID hit, I said, man, I got this big basement. I keep talking about turning half of it into a studio. Let me just do it. And I just went on guitarcenter.com and just went crazy and, you know, bought a bunch of stuff and built the studio that week. Um, so, you know, a lot of different things went on, but conceptually, the record is about gentrification and uh, cultural appropriation. And it's something that is very important to me. It's something that uh, I've been speaking about here and there for a while. You know, little right. jewels here, here. But on this, I wanted to make the entire project about that because I just was fed up with the way our neighborhood looks. The people that are curating and, and cultivating our culture and telling us what is and what isn't us and what is and what isn't our culture. I was I was getting a little tired of that, man. And, and I just wanted to do something that kind of fought back a little bit on both of those fronts. And uh, there it is, all the brilliant things. Yeah, man. And, and it, it is definitely brilliant when you think about it cohesively, like completely. Now, one of the things that intrigued me about the album when I first saw that it was coming out was the cover art. Um, there's a guy looking up and pointing at a huge building with what appears to be his young son by his side. Can you tell us what inspired the album cover and the deeper meaning behind the cover's depiction? Well, well, that's my son and I. Uh, wow. that, that's the science behind that, that that's my son and I. And uh, my son is three years old. So what I was trying to do with that was I'm just showing him what the neighborhood was and what it is now. And it's like I'm pointing at him and I'm saying, you see this, right? Like, you see what's going on here? Like, this is what this is. And it used to be this. So I'm kind of explaining gentrification to him and, and our neighborhood and all those types of things. And originally it was supposed to be an actual photo. So my son, Miles, and I were going to come back up to New York. because You know, I live in Atlanta now. So we were going to come back up to New York. And uh, do a photo shoot on Fulton and Franklin in front of this building that I saw. I took the picture with my phone. February 2020, I was in New York working on the album. And I just was walking down the block. And I saw I saw this, I saw saw this, the building. I've walked down that block a million times. And I saw the building. And I was like, yo, I took a picture. It just blew me away the way it looked and what was happening to the community. And I've been seeing it for years. But for whatever reason that just stuck to me because I knew what it was before and how it served the community. Then I saw the change. I took a picture with my phone and I said, man, me and Miles got to come back up here and take a picture, do a photo shoot in front of this and that'll be the cover. And then COVID hit. So we couldn't travel. Mm. So I reached out to this uh, illustrator by the name of Matt Rockefeller. And uh, I found him through just, you know, seeing his work in different places. I reached out to him blindly and, and wanted to hire him to do the, the art. I sent him the picture of the phone and I told him what I wanted my son and I to be doing. And in two weeks, he sent me back the cover. And I was like, yo, this is everything and then some. So it would have been dope as a picture, but I think it hits so much harder as a painting because it's warm. You know, the blues and the oranges and the reds, the way they hit, it feels warm. So it feels heartfelt and it feels like 
what's about to happen. Like it feels semi-emotional. And I think it hits way harder than if it would have been a photo. Yeah, man, that's that's definitely dope, man. And it's good that you were able to, you know, capture the picture and translate that to the to the illustrator or the designer, man. That that's what's yeah. up, man. Thank you for sharing that, man. I would have never thought that that's how it went down, you <laughs> know. Uh, so the music on the album, just like a lot of your music over the years, is very dense. There's heavy lyricism. There's double entendres. There's a lot to unpack, you know. So I really enjoy asking artists about some of their lyrics and some of the themes and the subject matters in the music. So I want to start off by um, highlighting the first track, which is entitled Free Jewelry. Now, it starts with an intro from where you say, when looking for the salvation, there was a realization of a dream deferred that spawned from making music for my friends and was all in celebration of us and became all the brilliant things. Now, it took me a little while to recognize that the majority of the references were titles to a number of your solo albums. But when I figured it out, I was like, oh, that's dope. But I wanted to ask you, how were you able to tie these solo albums of yours together to make sense out of it with these entire words in the intro? Honestly, it just happened. I didn't write it down to nothing. I just walked in the booth. It just happened. So, you know, that was God in the booth. You know, that was God who just walked in and said, yo, here you go. You know, so I literally just walked in the booth and just said, when looking for the salvation, it was a realization of a dream defer and it just flowed and i was like yeah like, i knew what i was doing with naming all the song titles in my head i said i want to do something in the intro where I, I shout out all the song i mean all the album titles excuse me i said i want to shout out all the album titles from my previous solo albums in chronological order that lead up to where we are but it's not like i sat there and said well does this make sense in the story with this and that i guess that's just the writer in me that i was able to just go in there knowing i want to do that and just flip it off the top like just flip it off the head or whatever Got it, got it. You know, I like I said, I really listen. So even in playing back the intro, it actually started to make sense. I'm not saying it, it made sense right off the bat, right? But mm -hmm. it started to make sense. But if you had to explain in any way how it makes sense, right? How would you explain that? How would you describe that with the intro coming together? Well, with that little intro piece, it's really just... Um it's kind of speaking for itself. Mm -hmm. So if you listen to the words, if you take away the fact that it's a, that, that it's me shouting out all of my album titles, it's really just saying when looking for the salvation, okay, what does salvation mean? Okay. So when looking for the salvation, there was a realization of a dream deferred and what is a, a dream deferred? Then you go, it, it spawned from making music for my friends. So I'm really just conversing with you. I'm just having this conversation about all these different things. And it goes from there. If you just take away the fact that those are album titles and you just look at them, the definitions of what those words and terms mean, it just makes sense within the story of what I'm saying to you. So it was it was simple as that. Dope, dope. I get it. I dig it. So also on the song Free Jewelry, you have a line where you say, my whole catalog, my whole catalog is like I'm shooting a Spike Lee joint. And mm -hmm. that line rings so true because. I actually came to that realization before I even heard the album or even heard that line. 
when you put out bed burning the first single of the project something in my head told me i was like man sky makes music like it could be the hip-hop soundtrack to spike lee's movies how did your music become to resonate in that way uh being a fan of his i think it's subconscious just being such a fan of his everybody knows I had the record Spike Lee was my hero with Talib Kweli. So, you know, everybody knows how I feel about Spike and 40 Acres and, and all that stuff. And those those guys are my peoples. Uh, but the things that I talk about and I represent in my music, you know, I'm coming from the same place of care and concern that Spike is. You know, Spike really cares about Brooklyn. Everything he does is based in Brooklyn, based in New York for the most part. And he has a level of care and concern for home. And that's how I feel. You know, he has a level of care and concern for his people. That's how I feel. So a lot of similarities in that regard. And of course, the majority of it is the fact that I grew up as such a fan of his. But, you know, when I look up and I see I could watch a big screen, I could watch the movie and see my neighborhood and see my people on it. That's how I feel about my music, where he's talking about the situations going on with us as a people in our neighborhoods and, and things like that. And it's the same thing with me, with what I'm talking about. I could dig it, man. Well said. So on the song st james liquors you recollect seeing biggie in the hood at a point in time i think you you say on the track that um you know it was a late night where you got a chance to witness a video shoot with the notorious big as you walk as you watched across the street picturing yourself involved you say you were 13 with a view of how the crown fits what impact did that moment have on your drive as an artist moving forward? Oh, it was wild. You know, uh, it actually was during the day, but it, it was wild because when you when you want to do something and you want to be something, all you need is that inspiration and, and somebody or something to say, yeah, this is real. This could happen. And that was the proof. You know, you see a guy who used to see him every day in the neighborhood, just living in the neighborhood. You see him every day. And now there's cameras outside filming him shooting a video. That song is on the radio every day, Hot 97, 30, 40 times a day. Everybody's talking about this guy. The video was on TV. Now your neighborhood, Fulton and Washington, is on TV, on your own TV raps, on BT, on video music. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. So I was already trying to rap at that point. I was a little kid. I started rapping when I was nine. Now you look at me, I'm 11, 12, 13 years old. And I'm like, yo, this thing could happen because it happened for him. And he lived up the block. You know what I mean? Like, so this thing could happen, and and that's what that was. Man, that must have been a feeling, man. Did you ever get a chance to like meet face to face with Big or like communicate anything to him? I didn't because I was a kid. You know, uh, I think I was, you know, what, like I said, eleven, twelve years old, thirteen. By the time he really started running around, and you know, really was the king of New York and the king of the world. And there's not too many twenty two, twenty three, twenty four year olds hanging out with 12, 13 year olds. You know I mean? So, Word. you know, I didn't get to really rap with him like that. He was the guy that we would see him in the neighborhood every day. We would see him on the corner. We would see him hanging out. But before he blew, we was just a little bad kids running around the neighborhood, my friends and I, you know? So it wasn't really like, oh, big is my man. Like not at all, because we were 10 some odd years apart, you know? So that was just one of the OG dudes in the neighborhood that you looked up to from close and from afar. And it was like, yo, look at what he's doing. Look how he's doing it. This is amazing. And 13 with a view of our good a crown fit, meaning I'm watching him become the king. I'm watching him wear that crown and, and it looks really great. And I'm like, that's a reality. 
that could happen. And you that young watching from a front row seat of how that crown fits. It makes you want to go get it yourself. Wow. Man. Do you remember what music video or what like what video was being shot? It was juicy. Oh wow. Yeah, it was juicy. Damn, I wonder what scene in Juicy was that? Because you know, Juicy was mostly what well, what I remember was like, you know, the the pool side and stuff. But that was There's no, a yeah. scene where he's walking down the block. That's Fulton Street. You can see the chicken shop and all that behind him. And there's a scene where they on the corner. You can see one of them pulling up on the light, pulling up on the stop sign, on the stoplight, doing pull-ups and all yeah, that. Okay. That's the corner of Fulton and Washington. That used to be um, a hair salon. That was a barbershop salon as well. But uh, you can see it right on the corner with the writings on the wall. It's like a, a, a mural, like a painting on the wall with the writing and everything. That's right on the corner. So that was when I was just like, wow. Yeah, that must have been surreal, man. Just like growing up in the sty and like being able to witness that, man. Dope, dope. Yeah, 100%. So, indeed, indeed. So on the song, A Tour of the Neighborhood, you got a lyric where you say, Leroy Campbell's was like wallpaper. What impact did fine artists like Leroy Campbell have on your outlook as a young artist, you know, yourself coming up in Bed-Stuy? A ton. Uh, but I didn't know at the time what all that was. That was my pops. Mm. You know, like I talk about all that where my pops had all that stuff in the house. So the 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 meaning behind that line, Leroy Campbell's was like wallpaper, but I was out four, five, six and for your paper, my hand hot. What I'm saying on that is, I would go outside and the world was like this, but then I would come in the house and the world was like that. You know, it was these two different worlds all at the same time, you know? And um, you go in the crib, my pops had Leroy Campbell's everywhere. And for those listening, Leroy Campbell paintings is a bag. They start at 12, 13, 1400. They're not cheap, you know? Like they start at, you know, <laughs> multiple, light bills and car notes and, and all that put together. Like Leroy Campbell paintings are a bag and he's a, a black artist from South Carolina. He actually lived in the neighborhood back then at the time. I think he lived on decal, if I'm not mistaken, but he had an art studio and his house um, in, right in the neighborhood. And uh, my pops would go there and buy stuff in person from him and get it signed and all that. But the point of that is, yeah, I'm, I'm in the crib with this fine art and this jazz playing and, you know, all just this whole world and, you know, in, in our little apartment on St. James. But then when I walk outside, it's a whole nother world. It's everything you hear on Ready to Die outside my front door. Inside my, my house was CD 101.9. For those from old New York, you know what I'm talking about. So um, it was just this ill juxtaposition. And that's what I'm talking about on that record with some of those moments. You know, yeah. I'm like, I grew up like this, but I also grew up like that. Yeah, man. I, I grew up in, in this, like, close to the sty as well. So when Big came out, I could literally walk down Fulton Street, you know, where restoration is and mm -hmm. in that area. Yeah. And it just felt if it felt like to me, it felt like what Big was talking about was a was a representation of what I was seeing in the hood. Right. Being that he was somebody that came from the neighborhood. So, yeah, man, I, I, I could identify with some of those you know, similarities and realizations, man. So you actually got a chance to meet um, Leroy a, a few times. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Especially down here in Atlanta, because he's down here in Atlanta now with an art gallery and everything. So I've purchased stuff from him personally and, 
you know, had him sign it and, and um, you know, and, and get busy on it and all that. Uh, so, yeah, totally, totally. He's he's uh, he's he's good people's definitely amazing artists. Anybody watching and listening, look his stuff up. Just Google him and you'll see his art come up and what yeah. he's about. Incredible, you know, fine artists. And yeah. uh, and he's one of us, you know. Indeed, indeed. And his his art is out there. Like, I, I'm sure if people might not know who he is when they see the art, they're like, oh, I, I've seen this before, you know. Right. So, yeah, definitely. So also on that song. You know, I'm looking at the Hardaway jersey that you got in the background. <laughs> and you got a line where you say, right-handed but dribble left, penny flex. Now, off the bat, when I heard the line, like I said, reference to the Penny Hardaway jersey, I'm thinking about the basketball reference. But can you expound further on the symbolism of that line? Yeah, I was just, um, when I said my hand hot, same hand I was pinning with that would send you deaf. So I'm really just describing me as a kid, you know, I'm talking about, you know, shooting dice, my right hand, boom, because I'm right-handed. But I'm like, yo, when I played ball, I played like Penny. And Penny was right-handed, but every time he would bring the ball down the court, he brought it down with his left. That was his thing. Like, he, he was right-handed all the way. He played to the right side, but he could play to the left. But when he brought the rock down, it was always with the left. Every time it was with the left. And he was just showing I could do it with both. I'm good either way. I'm not handicapped to one hand or the other. And, uh, you know, I played like that growing up. So I'm really just describing my childhood, describing what I was like at that point, 95, 13 years old. But I'm also saying I get this, but then I get that. You know, mm. I could do it with this. I could do it with that. And that I'm, there's more layers to me than just what you may think on the surface. And like I said, he, he was right-handed, but he will always dribble with the left. So I followed that. And that's another testament to me just following these guys that I looked up to, whether it was big, whether it was Penny, whether it was the OGs in the neighborhood who was hustling, or whether it was my pops who went to work every day and, you know, had a Jeep and had, you know, Leroy Campbell paintings all over the wall and took us to the Poconos on the weekends in the summer and all that, you know, like just those different things. It was, it was just this really wild world that I was in the middle of where it was this and this and that and this and that and this whole world that I came from. And I don't know anybody else who came from this mixture of a world like me. Indeed. You're so good with the double entendres. That's why I kind of always, even though I kind of know on the surface what you're talking about, I like to ask, you know, just to hear sure. a little bit more uh, to add on to the lyric. So the song Bodega Flowers is probably one of my favorite songs on the album. The All of the songs are dope, but there are those records that really, really are like my favorites. This is one of them. Um, and this one features singer BJ, the Chicago kid. You talk about giving people their flowers while they're here. If there's anyone you would like to give your flowers to now, or maybe someone that you've already given flowers to, but you just wanted to recognize them again, who would they be and why? I hope I give everyone around me the flowers that they deserve. Um, you know, I, I really hope that I give everyone around me the flowers that they deserve all the time. Definitely my parents. Um, nice. My family, my whiz, of course. And uh, guys who 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 uh, who raised me but didn't know it. You know, it's funny. I was I was texting with Jada Kiss today, and you know, Jada's one of my favorite artists ever. Jade is one of the people that raised me musically and, and didn't even know it, you know, because I was just a fan from afar listening to Clue tapes and buying albums and all that. And I was, you know, we was texting today and I told him, I said, bro, you know, every time we talk, 
I'm gonna give you flowers every single time. You know what I mean? So definitely Jada, uh, for sure, for sure. The whole LOX style chic, you know, that's my favorite group of all time. But I literally said that to him today. I was like, you know, every time we speak, no matter what, I'm gonna give you these flowers, baby. Cause that's that that man, that man raised me from afar without knowing it as far as this music thing. Definitely, man. Definitely, man. And I'm gonna give you your flowers. Because, like I said, man, you have been so consistent and so dedicated to the quality of lyricism, and you haven't wavered since I've seen you come in the game. So, you know, big ups Appreciate to you, brother. You. And everybody else that's doing their thing too, man, you know, but it's so dope to see the consistency and the integrity staying intact, you know? So, on the song Something to Believe featuring Raheem Devon, you have a rhyme where you say, swear it makes sense to everyone who admires it. They tell you play the bench, but show you the other side of it. What's the significance of that line? Just the world we live in, just, just whether it's being in the street, whether it's, you know, nothing street at all. Just, you know, um, swear it makes sense to everyone who admires it, right? Like everyone who admires all this that's going on and what you're fighting for and what you're pushing for and what you want and your desires. And the people behind the scenes or the people within the powers that be, they tell you to chill on certain things. They say, yo, chill, don't get into that. You know, they, they tell you to chill. They tell you, play the bench, hold on, wait. But then they show you the other side of it. They show you what happens when you don't play the bench, when you don't chill, when you don't sit back. So how do you expect that person to chill when you show them what it's like if you go out there and get it? Right. And in that element, I'm talking about the street and the desires and all that type of stuff. And I'm just like, yo, like, you know, swear it made sense to everyone who admires it. They tell you play the bench, but then show you the other side of it. Neighborhood routines, habits get involved, and what happens next door turns to black and red fours, block mm. full of them. So I'm saying what happens next door with these spots, you know, with these gates and, and, and these spots, you know, if you now I'm really talking about street stuff where, you know, if you live in a neighborhood and, and you live next door to where they're getting busy and they're pumping at, what happens next door turn to black and red fours. Like before you know it, the whole neighborhood, everybody's getting in on what's going on next door. Everybody's wearing black and red fours, like black and red Jordan fours. Like everybody now can afford, they can start to afford all these little ills and the fruits that we've been looking for forever based on what's happening next door. So they told you to chill. They showed you what happens when you don't chill. So you said, I'm not going to chill. And you started to see in your mind that it's worth it. You know, and it keeps going because now you was able to get them fours and the whole block got them. When a pair of J's come out, the whole neighborhood has that one pair of J's. Everybody, whether you everyone 45 and under up to like a year old in, right. in the stroller, yeah. everybody got them, myself included, my son included. My son got all kind of J's. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm still a product of my environment, no matter how much I've grown and no matter where I'm at. I just don't let that stuff define me. I don't let that stuff yeah. dictate who I am. I don't let that stuff dictate, you know, what I got going on and whether I could pay my mortgage and pay my bills and whether my son is right. But once all that's taken care of, the room that's there for me to do all that stuff, I'm still a product of my environment, you know? So that that's what I'm saying on that. Yeah. That Jordan uh, reference, man, that, that just takes me back because I just remember a time when like wearing Jordans was like a badge of honor, you know, you know, and, you know, coming coming up in Brooklyn, like uh, Jan Sports, right? Jan Sport book bags and the strings on them. That was a thing like when I was coming up in junior high and you just think about some of those things that are not the same anymore. But still, I think Jordans have kind of kept the, <laughs> the standard. 
So yeah, that was cool to to give that reference. So yeah, I um, I, you know, um, Jordan still run it for sure, obviously. Yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, I did a record called Jansport Strings on a Dream Deferred. Right, about, right. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I I grew up on that man. When I was in elementary school, man, Jansport Strings was everything. Like Word. the more strings you had, the more popping you was. Word. And it was such a silly concept because it's a string. You know what I mean? Like, but we was 10, 11, 12 years old. The more Jansport strings you had, you was popping. And they all they came with two strings, but then you'll see kids with like 40 strings on it. Word, like person. And that kid was popping. Like, yo, we got mad Jansport strings. He's popping. You didn't buy 20, 40 bags to get all those strings. So you jacked them from people. You know, and that 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 was the badge of honor because you stole them from people. So somebody had their bag sitting on the back of their desk. <laughs> you oh, sat yeah. in class real real low, and you started pulling that thread apart, and boom, you got that string. And then you did that all day, or you did it for a week straight, and now you got 20, 30 strings, and you popping like, yo, he got. Even if you had five, ten strings, yo, he got, yo, he got mad strings. Look, I mean, strings he got. I don't know who came up with it, man, but it was a real thing. I really don't remember who came up with it, but it was a real thing, though. That's a good question because I've never questioned it even in my adult life to to be like, yo, where did that even come from where that became a thing? Because like you said, it's just strings, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, you got a song entitled uh, You Were Supposed to Be a Trap, trap Rapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you say you were supposed to be a trap rapper, but mistaken identity sat you with the backpacker, backpackers. Why did mm -hmm. you say that? I grew up in a certain way with certain people in certain environments. Most people who grow up with all of the above don't make jazz infused records. Don't listen to some of the stuff that I listen to along with listening to the locks and Rockefeller and bad boy and all that. I was listening to slum village. I was listening to, you know, uh tribe called quest. I was listening to all these different things like this side of the fence and that side of the fence. When you grow up where I grew up and, and, and you have the friends that I have, you don't listen to all that other type of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So now when I come out and I make music, I'm making music inspired by both of these worlds. The production is leaning more towards the jazzy, you know, kind of true, authentic hip hop side. The content of what I'm talking about represents the stuff I saw in the street, which was not jazzy and authentic hip hop, mm. but raw and real. And it was it was, you know, it was heinous and it was lights out. So now I'm meshing these two worlds. But the average casual listener will be like, oh, he's a backpacker. Oh, he's a this. Oh, he's a that. Until they really start listening to what I'm saying. And they like, oh, no, he's not. Not at all. Mm. He's making records called, you know, the shooter soundtrack. He's making records, you know, about his friend being 13 years old, chopping up rocks with a razor blade on the Sega Genesis cover while he's playing Live 96. Like, that's not backpack, you know? So there's this weird sense of people thinking it's one thing or people thinking it's another when really it's just this hybrid of this world that I came from. And I'm saying, the world I came from was such a certain type of world. I was supposed to be a rapper who rapped like the trap shit and the right. drill shit. And I was supposed to be that guy, you know, based on who my friends are, based on where I live, based on the values that we had and how we grew up. But for whatever reason, it went this way with the things that I was attracted to musically. 
and it became something else. Yeah. One of the reasons why I think, you know, that backpack category sometimes may get attached to you is the fact that you are able to narrate stories of the hood, right, in such an eloquent way. But you also come across very authentic, uh, you know, when one really listens, like they could see that you actually lived around this. So, you know, um, I appreciate you, you know, breaking that down. In that, no doubt, uh, no doubt. Response. Yeah, indeed. So there's a there's a lot of different titles on this album that I'm sure if I have more time with you, I can talk to you more about. But there's titles that intrigue me, right? And I'm like, okay, I wonder what that means. Um, and I would like to know a little bit more. There's a title uh, of a song called Humble Brag. Can you explain what humble bragging actually exactly is? Oh man, well what I meant with the title was, you know, there's uh when they when these people come into the neighborhoods and take over, it's like a humble brag because they come in real low, real cool, and then they just take the shit over. Boom. And before you know it, in the blink of an eye, it's gone. You know, and at the same time, I'm I'm looking at us as a people, and we have an element to us of this being our neighborhood and this being our culture and everything that we've created. We're extremely humble with it, but we also have that right to brag as well because this is what we've built. And I'm saying that I, I get everything that's going on. I see you guys coming a mile away. And maybe that's a humble brag. Maybe the fact that I can brag and be like, nah, you ain't outsmarting me. Like, I, I get this. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm not afraid of any of this. I'm not afraid of any of y'all. I get it. You know, so that's what all it's, it's, it's layers to it, but you know, it just, it was a, it's something I, it was a title I wrote down and it sat with me and I was like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. And I just built around it. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you for explaining that. So go along going along in reference to the song Humble Brag, as well as the album expression about gentrification. You have a lyric where you say giving in like knowing if they got it, you'll take it and leave it because they know that you're divided. And mm -hmm. that lyric. You say some more things, but that lyric really made me think about gentrification and how it even happens, right? And the part that, you know, everyone has to play in it. For the individuals of our community who have actually had real estate ownership in the hood and understood the value of ownership to our community, why do you think they still gave in to the outcome of gentrification by way of selling their property? Well, money runs it all, you know. So if somebody comes to you and says, look, man, I'm trying to buy this brownstone from you from two and a half million. Who going to say no to that? Mm. If you don't have that in the bank already to play with, then how could you say no to that? So I get that. But what I'm saying is knowing if they got it, you'll take it and leave it because they know that you divided. So what I'm saying is I'm speaking to us as a people and I'm saying as black people, they know that we as black people are divided. They know that we're not going to really stick together like that. They know that we all we're going to do is try to chop each other down and tear each other down. They know it's nothing for us to come in there and split us up mm. and take from us and buy this from us and move us out of here and take this from our culture. If the price is right, because we're divided, you know, we're not standing in unison. They don't do this in other communities. You don't see, see them going to, you know, whether it's Chinatown or Little Italy or you know, Bensonhurst or in these different communities and doing these types of things. They're not taking over whole cultures of people and communities of where it's one type of culture and one type of pride 
that stands tall because they're all unified. And they know as black folk, we're the least unified people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Black folk, especially black Americans, you know. And that's a deeper discussion that goes back 400 something years right. when they first brought us over here on boats. But they know we ain't we ain't together. They know we divided. So they they get it. They're like, yo, it's easy to get them to split up because they already split up. Right, right. Yeah, man. It's such a, a powerful point, man, and something for us to really reflect on and take serious. Um, when when we think about the community, right? Um, and you know, our our role to the community, especially those that are native to the community, what role can we play in helping to ensure that the businesses that are also native and beneficial to the community stay? Well, it's tough from a community standpoint. It's right. not impossible, which is why I talk about it. But it's a little harder because it takes finance. You know, right. it takes capital. It takes money. And if you're saying, okay, we're not going to sell this building to these people for three mil, we're going or we're going to buy this building ourselves for three mil. How do you do that? Three million is not easy to come by. So it's difficult in that regard. Um, it starts with the people that we elect in the communities. It starts with the community boards. It starts with the local side beyond the president and vice president and all that. And even the mayor, it starts with the local side, the districts and all that stuff in our communities, but also uh, us doing everything we can to try to keep what we own. But where we can really start to turn this thing around is within our culture, because to buy back your neighborhood costs millions of dollars at times, but to take back your culture is free. Brothers like yourself starting this podcast starting podcasts, starting websites, starting blogs, starting publications of journalism that represent us the way we're supposed to be represented and, and fashion and different things like that. So the the side of cultural appropriation, like we could take that back fairly easily, right? you know, because it's free. Mm. You just got to go out there and do the work. Taking back the neighborhood is a little tougher because you got to spend this money, you know, but uh, that other stuff is free. So it's a little easier to maneuver that. Indeed, indeed. What about um, when we think about the new businesses that come into the community? Like, what can we do to ensure, you know, people that are native to the community, what can we do to help ensure that the new businesses are, um, are, you know, are able to cater to the community's needs and overall wellness and growth as a community? I think the people that are coming in with these new businesses need to know what the community is about and what the community serves and, and, the temperature of the mm. community, right? So if you know you're moving into a certain community that's dealing with these issues or these issues or beyond issues, these types of people that live this type of way, there's a way for you to get involved with those people and show that love. You got a restaurant, do something where you're giving free meals mm-hmm. to people who need it on certain days of the month, maybe one day a month, maybe one day a season, maybe when the summer starts, you're opening up a hair salon or a barbershop, Give free haircuts for the the day before the first day of school, things like that. And that'll show the community that you're really about it and you're active. You know, that'll show the community all those types of things. And um, and if you're doing it from a genuine place, you'll be more than welcome to be in the community. That's how you move into the community and become one with us, as opposed to being looked like as opposed to being looked at like you're trying to take from us and divide us and get us out. You just embrace yourself within the community because we welcome in everybody you know we're not out there with picket signs keeping people out people, right right people 
come in, we show love. It's when they ignore us and act like we don't exist and try to change us and change what we're about and change where we're from and change all that we know and how we live. That's when we get to the point of, all right, we, it's time to push back. Definitely, definitely, man. Man, thank you so much for, you know, being able to, you know, share your your thoughts, man. And I wanted to ask you about that because the album, you know, the the central theme on the album is dealing with gentrification. Mm-hmm. So um, the song Plugs and Connections, you talk about your dad being offered to buy a brownstone house by uh, a building owner in the past, but he passed on the opportunity and later ended up owning his own restaurant in Atlanta. You also talk about him reflecting on what might have been if he did end up purchasing the building, even with him being, you know, in his 30s at the time and being younger. What's the most positive thing you gained out of seeing your dad go through life and having to make economic decisions? Well, the people around you teach you how to be and who to be and what to be. Right. So having somebody like my pops and my moms and just all the people around me, you know, every everyone around you is a teacher. You learn something from everybody. You either learn what to do or what not to do. You know, so in plugs and connections, my pops didn't have someone around him to say, yo, you should do that. I know it seems a little intimidating. It seems like a bit much to be 34, to be young and somebody's offering you a brownstone to buy the whole joint. But, yo, you should do that because here's why it's worth it in the long run, even though if you got to struggle for the first few years, he didn't have anybody to tell him that. Mm -hmm. So now, in turn, I do have somebody to tell me that, which is him because I'm learning from the experience and he's able to say, Hey man, don't make the mistakes I made, whether it's that or other things or whatever it might be. And that's why the song is called plugs and connections. Cause we don't have these plugs and connections as people in the inner city and urban America and all those types of things to tell us, do this, don't do that. Your neighborhood is worth this. Your house is worth that. Invest in this. Your business is worth this. You can actually purchase a piece of this block or this building for a little less than you thought you could, or whatever it may be. You don't have the plugs and connections to teach you that. These other people coming in the neighborhood who don't look like you and I, they do have that. Mm. So that's why the record's called Plugs and Connections. It's about having those plugs and connections, which really is just people teaching you. I just called it Plugs and Connections because it made more sense in the realm of hip hop and the street and all that. But it's using that as a metaphor, like, yeah, the. Mm-hmm. Plug is somebody, yo, I need a plug for this. Yo, I'm trying to get with someone, so I need a plug. I need to connect. So it's the same thing, you know? It's having those plugs and connections to say, do this, don't do that, you know? Indeed, indeed. So I want to shift gears to talk about the production on the album. You have a number of songs on this album that no matter how long they are, well, actually, before I talk about the production, let me just hit this point. So like I said, you have a number of songs on the album that, no matter how long they are, they never lose a step lyrically in terms of providing that continuous interest to the listener, right? I think of tracks like I Was Supposed to Be a Trap Rapper and What Money Taught Us. When you write, how do you get into a lyrical rhythm that lasts so long? Honestly, man, it's going to sound like a flex. It's just there. It's just in my DNA. And I'm not even trying to be funny. It's just in my DNA, you know. It's just the way I was built as a writer, as a as as an MC, as a musician. It's just who I am. You know what I mean? Like I've been rapping since I was nine. I'm 38. I'm gonna be 39 at the end of this year. Wow. I've been rapping for 30 years. You know what I mean? It don't seem like it because I look young and I've been in the game about 15 years. 
I've been writing rhymes since I was, you know, for, for 30 years now. You know wow. I mean, so it, it, it's it's like breathing at this point. It doesn't mean I don't sit there and put effort and time into it. It doesn't mean that I don't put hard work into it and that I don't continue to grow. Of course I do. You know, it's not a, a you know, yeah, it's whatever. I just do this right, shit and right, keep right. moving. Not at all. It ain't like that. You know, I, I love what I do. I put time and effort and value into what I do and I cherish it wholeheartedly. But it is like breathing at this point. You know, wow. it, it is. I just, I just sit down and do it, you know, and, and I put my best foot forward and I knock it out. Do you find that over the years it's just become easier because you've put so much time? Like it's a matter of just like they say, practice makes perfect. You know, like you've just continue, continue done in it so, so many years that it becomes easier now. Of course. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. But at the same time, I still shoot a thousand jumpers a day. Yeah, you know I mean, like I, I don't. I don't say, yo, I just won the championship. I'm chilling for the whole right. summer. Nah, you win the championship. You go on vacation for a week or two. You come home and get back in the gym. You know, so oh. I, I'm i shooting a thousand jumpers a day with this thing. And it's been like that since I was a little kid. Dope, dope. So getting back to production, the album features a variety of different producers. I've always said that the best albums to me, especially within recent years, are the albums where it's one producer or one collective of producers that, you know, produce the entire project. But this project has a variety of different producers and the record sounds like it's one producer. What I'm really trying to say is it sounds really co cohesive. How were you able to have so many different producers contribute to the album and still have the project sound so cohesive? Yeah, um, I think... With that, it's just, I had a vision of what I wanted this record to sound like. And I just reached out to people who I felt could could contribute to that vision and do it right. You know, and for me, it wasn't about the biggest names. I got to get this guy because he sold 20 million records. I got to get that guy because he got 10 records on the top 100 right now. It wasn't about any of that. It was about people that I know personally. And some of them I didn't. There's people on this album that... I never met. I don't even know what they look like. We did everything over email and, and DMs, you know, like, but it's me reaching out and me hearing stuff from people that I just fell in love with. And I was like, this is perfect. I need this for the album. That's perfect. I need that for the album. That's all it was. But everything, no matter if it's 15 different producers or one producer, everything has to be cohesive and come right. together and everything has to make sense and everything has to tell a story. And that's just that's just having an ear, you know. I, I can't lie, that's something you're blessed with, you know. That that's that's something you uh you, you got to have an ear for. Yeah, you certainly have a good ear for picking beats. Not every not every MC is able to do that. Even some of our bigger names is able to do that. So um, I think it's it's worked out really well for you. Um, <laughs> what, what would you attribute to that? Is it is it your background, like? coming up listening to jazz like what 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 would you attribute to that ear that you have for picking good beats maybe uh maybe the jazz element like me being a fan mm -hmm. I, I really think it's a it's a, a gift from god i think that's a gift the same way some people have a, the gift of writing and rapping like me some people have the gift of singing they can hit nine octaves like mariah carey you know it is a gift there's a lot of guys out here like you said that some of the greatest, some of the dopest, the newest, whatever, whatever, that have been rhyming and, and killing it, but they can't pick no beats. And that is a humongous part of 
this thread of hip hop and being a great MC and having a great catalog and making great records. You got to be able to pick the right beats and make them make sense. And that is something I've always been blessed with. Like I can hear a beat and in the first 10 seconds, I know if I want it or not. I'm like, I don't got to hear more than that. If I keep listening after 10 seconds, it's because I'm intrigued or I'm interested or I'm already sold and I just want to continue to hear it because I want it. But I could tell in 10 seconds, yeah, I like that or nah, that's not going to work. I could tell right away. How did you go about finding the right sequencing for the tracks and the order of how they would go? I, I sequence all my albums. I'm I'm pretty much my own A&R. On this album, I have my man Ears Knights, who I've known forever. Uh, he actually, he was sending me so many beats. He's just a beat head and a producer head. He was just sending me so many beats from different people. He would hear something on Instagram and send me the link. Like, Yo, check this out. Check this out. And I just made him an A&R because he just was a, a lot of the beats on the album, maybe like five, six beats on the album were beats that he sent me from different mm. people. Like, Yo, listen to this. Listen to that. Well, that's what an A&R does. You know, right. so I made him an A&R on the album. But uh, the sequencing, I always do because it's always a story. Right. So I know Free Jury has to be track one because of what I'm talking about. You know, uh, right. Soft Eyes have to, has to be track 14 because I know what I'm talking about. So it's always on purpose because of the stories I'm telling. Right, 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 right. Man, that's so dope, man. I saw that you have Kareem Riggins on the album. How did that uh, production relationship work out? Oh, man, he, he's amazing, man. Uh, he was actually texting me while we was talking, but he, he's amazing. <laughs> um, he reached out to me during COVID and just showing love. He just reached that's out to up. me DM-wise and was just like, yo, man, I love what you're doing. I, I've been following you for a little while now and I love what you're doing. And, you know, I would love to work. You know, uh, if you ever need anything, let me know. I'm, I'm, I just love the movement. And I hit him back like, man, like I'm, I'm honored, bro. Word. Like you are an OG legend. Like I'm honored you're a master on the drums, you know, and, and we started kicking it and conversing. And uh, I said, yo, man, I got this idea for this joint. You know, would you be down to play on it? And uh, at the time he was doing some stuff with Common. You know, he produced Common's right, last right, album. right. He was like, yeah, as soon as we wrap up a couple things we got going on, you know, I got you. And uh, maybe a week later, he wound up playing drums on the album. Yeah. You know what just came to mind? Because Riggins is was so connected with Dilla, I thought about the first track. <laughs> I forgot to ask you about that, mm. which has the, um, it was the same sample for Official from the J-Lib yep. album. And um I think there's another Dilla sample there somewhere, but um, yeah, man, like I like that was really dope that you opened the album with a, a a sample that if you're like a fan of like you know Dilla, you know what I'm saying and Madlib, you kind of already know what that is. You of know, course. was was what what inspired you to open um Free Jewelry with that with that beat? That's one of the beats that my man is Knight sent me. Right. Uh, on instagram uh his name is zarek zarek beats right and my man just sent me a link like yo check this out and the kid had the beat playing mm. on his little video thing on his page and he was like yo check this out this is crazy and i heard it and i was like yo that is nuts and i left a comment like yo i, I just hit the kid leaving a comment like yo this beat is crazy and he hit me back like yo you want it it's yours if you want it and i was like yeah dm me and that was it you know so when i heard it i just knew this would be a wonderful way to start the album. I know, you know, the the sample has been flipped a number of times. Dilla used it with Slumville on Fall in Love. Right. And, you know, uh, of course, Mad Lib on the J-Lib album. And, you know, it's been used a lot of times. But 
I just felt like it made a lot of sense. And uh, what I wanted to talk about, it just sounded like an anthem. It sounded anthemic. It sounded like opening the floodgates. And for me, I'm like, the first record is opening the floodgates of everything right. that happened on the album. And it just made sense. As soon as I heard it, I said, this is that's part of that thing. Like I said, it's a gift from God. The moment I heard the beat, I said, oh, that's going to start the album. Right. As soon as right. I heard it, I'm like, that's how the album's going to start. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect opener, right? It's upbeat. It's it, it has the energy to open the album. So I thought that was a smart choice. So the song Culture Itch, which is the song produced by Kareem Riggins, I think it also features singer Monica Blair on there. You have yep. a line where you say, soft eyes will help you see it better because when you're all eyes, it's is harder to piece together. You see it black as F, so relating ain't an option. A Gil Scott vision and a Kenya Barris option. Kenya what? Barris closet. I'm sorry. Yeah, Kenya Barris closet. I'm sorry. Yeah, now nah, you um, good. What exactly is the Gil Scott vision in the Kenya Barris closet that you're referring to? It's just this world of being one way but also being the other. If you know Gil Scott Heron, you know. The revolution will not be televised. Pieces of a man, you know, uh, uh, you know, all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going through his albums in my mind. You know, the bottle and angel dust, and you know, all that stuff. You know what he was about. The people, fists in the air, pride, taking back the community home. Then you look at Kenya Barris, who I'm a fan of. Mm -hmm. I think he's a dope writer. Shows, you know, he's um. He's proven himself time and time again. He's cracked a world that is really hard to crack when you're from where we're from and you look the way we look. And he's done it on his own terms. And he's done spinoff after spinoff after spinoff. And that doesn't happen. And he's gotten to be able to play this game by his rules. Kenya Barris Closet. I mean, if you if you watch uh, Black uh, Black AF on, on Netflix... His closet is insane. It's mm. Gucci this, Louis that, Fendi this, Prada that, Balenciaga this, everything. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm caught in those two worlds. Like I said earlier, fists in the air, but I'm also getting fly and, and spending money on things <laughs> that a lot of people who got their fists in the air wouldn't spend money on. You right, know, so right. I'm caught in these worlds, you know, a, a Gil Scott vision and a Kenya Barris closet. Like, that's me. You know, I got the vision of Gil Scott Heron. I got the closet of Kenya Barris. That's me. That's what's up. I love how you take time to reference like, you know, other artists and creatives, you know, whether they be from the past or even relevant today. Um, it's always dope to kind of hear it in your music. Um, you kind of give that reference. So the first single, bed is Burning, produced by Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Is well, they're featured on it. That's uh, produced oh, by... Oh, they're featured on it. Okay. And then the last one, too, Kareem Riggins is featured on that, but that's produced by Mark Infinite. But, yeah. So got it, got it. So uh, Bed Stars Burning, yeah, for sure. Dope, dope, dope. Okay, yeah. I, for some reason, I thought that they actually produced it, but they're just featured on it. So what aspect of it? Are they, like, playing, like, live horns or something on there? Yeah, they played the trumpets on it. They played got the it. horns. So Hypnotic Brass Ensemble is a um, very, very amazing hip-hop jazz band. Right. Probably the best way to describe them, out of Chicago. And they live in Brooklyn now, but they're from Chicago. It's nine of them. They're all brothers, and they're absolutely amazing. They got albums all over, you know, iTunes and all that stuff, and they're amazing, man. And um, I wanted to work with them for a while. I've known them for a while, and um, 
you know, we've done shows together and different things. And I was like, yo, we got to get a record together. And when I did that, I was like, yo, I, this is the one. This is perfect for them to jump on. Right. And we rocked it to sleep. They killed it. And everything was great, you know. So, um, yeah, they they uh, they played trumpets all over it. Wow. Yeah, man, they did an awesome job on it. That was the record that made me say, yo, yo, Sky is making music like like it's a Spike Lee soundtrack. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, what's dope about that record is, um, you say in reference to the general theme of avoiding gentrification. You name some specific U.S. cities that you don't want it to happen to. You say, please, Philly, don't let it happen to you. Please, Atlanta, don't let it happen to you. Please, DMV, L.A., Detroit, Chicago, Texas, and New Orleans, don't let it happen to you. Tell me why you chose those particular cities to highlight and what makes the gentrification that took place in NYC or Brooklyn so unique and impactful that you had to give note to those other cities? It wasn't really a, I got to point these cities out for right. a particular reason. I just grabbed some major cities because it's happening everywhere. I could have right. said, please Berlin, please London, you know, please, uh, you know, uh, I, I could have said anywhere, please Toronto. I, I could have said it because it's literally happening everywhere. Uh, I just picked some major cities, some cities that I've personally been to and watched it happen people that I know in those cities. And really it was just about major cities where, you know, you're seeing a wave of black people move out and a wave of other people who don't look like us move in. And they're all kind of major cities. And that's yeah. why I named them. Well, you know, instead Texas is a state, but you know, I, I named a bunch of cities and all that. And that was pretty much the science behind that. Yeah. And a number of those cities also have a lot of black people in them. Uh, you know, that people too. In there that's too. A Philly, Atlanta, right. LA, DC, Detroit, Chicago, you know, and, and yeah. that was really the science behind that. Yeah. But it, it came across so like genuine. It, it, it was one of those hooks that like you didn't have to spell it out. You kind of got the feel of what, you know, the, the hook was implying. Uh, but you know me, I just wanted to ask a little further about it. So, uh, no, yeah, sure, thanks for breaking sure. that down. So the song What Money Taught Us, you said you decided long ago that if you go and write for the cause, there wouldn't be no return to the turn that y'all would reward. And that was a dope line. Like, I mean, there's so many clever lines on this album, but just the way in how you said it was dope. Um, what do you think makes it so difficult for us to reward those artists who take an approach that's dedicated to the cause? And what should that reward actually look like from the people? Well, because in our world as black folk, and this is something that happened 400 plus years ago, you know, Kenya Barris always says everything relates back to everything reverts back to slavery. And he's absolutely right. So, you know, it started long ago where it's like we don't put value on that. We put value on the things that you can see. Right. What I own, what I got, how I'm popping. You know, the guy who may have 50 million in the bank, but, you know, wears uh, jeans and a T-shirt and some skips, you know, from from Target or the Gap. He'll get overlooked. Mm. The guy with, you know, $100 in the bank, but got the Balenciaga sneakers and, and the G-Star jeans and whatever, whatever. That's the guy everybody's sweating. Why? Right. Because you can see it. Mm -hmm. So that guy, you could tell him, yo, listen, you got 50 mil in the bank. You don't have to dress like this to validate that 50 mil in the bank. 
he's going to say to you, well, yeah, but they can't see that 50 mil. Mm. I can't walk around showing them my, showing the world my bank statement. So this is how I can show the world that I got it. This is how I can show the world that I'm doing it big, that I'm doing it up, that I'm living. You know, and as black folk, that's always been our thing is validation. You know, other folk, they don't have to do that. They can have 40, 50 mil in the bank and they'll have on a white V-neck T-shirt that they got for five bucks from Target. And, you know, some some Levi jeans, some Converse Chuck Taylors, they whole outfit, maybe 60 bucks, maybe. Yeah. And they got 50 mil in the bank. Yeah. You would never know because they don't need that validation because they've been validated from day one since the moment they brought us over. You know, we've been looking for validation ever since. And that's never going to change, sadly. Wow. Yeah, man, it, it, it it's one of those realities that when you think about it, you realize that that has been definitely happening, man. But I, I'm I'm glad that you shed light in, in such a poetic way about some of these topics on the album. Now, the last track on the album is entitled Soft Eyes. And um, you do have a, a line on there where you, you talk about a conversation you had with fellow elite MC Fonte, Fonte of Little Brother, uh, where you, um, you talk about, you said you wanted to quit rap. Like you told him you wanted to quit rap and he encouraged you to keep going. How'd you even get to that mindset of wanting to retire in the first place? I just didn't like where the game was going. You know, I didn't like where the industry was going and the industry's been going in a certain direction forever. But for whatever reason, I started to really just see the industry in a certain light. And I didn't like the the game. It mm. really is a game. And I just wasn't a fan of it anymore. I didn't feel like I had time for it anymore. And it was kind of bringing me down. You know, watching the way the game was being played, I'm sitting on the side because my album's not out yet. So I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, in, in doing interviews and in the mix at the moment. You know, mm. I'm kind of it's like the off season for me where I'm, I'm I'm chilling, waiting for the, you know, for the fall to come back around for the season to get back in. And I'm just watching the way this thing is going. And I'm just like, I'm not a fan of this anymore. I'm not a fan of what it represents and how it makes me feel. I'm not a fan of the way some certain people on the other side of the fence, media, journalism, whatever, whatever. I'm not a fan of how they're carrying things. And it made me want to just leave this thing alone and be like, yo, this whole world that everyone is trying to dance in may not be worth it because it's starting to mess with me and, and bring mm. my mood down and change my energy. And I wasn't a fan of it no more, man. And, and, you know, but something said to call him, you know, God said, yo, here, call you, call your boy and just kick it. And I text him and I was like, yo, you free? He was like, yeah, I'm free. You know, give me a call. And we just chopped it up about a bunch of things. It wasn't a three-hour call about retirement. Right, you know what right, I mean? It was, right, right. It was just a three-hour call about life. Yo, how's the kids? Yo, how's this? Got it. Yo, it was just about a bunch of random stuff. But one of those random things in it was me being like, yo, man, I think I'm about to tap out soon. Wow. Like, I think I might be out. And he was like, what you talking about? Like, you know, why? And I started explaining what I just told you. And he literally was like, man, don't let these motherfuckers tell you when to go. Like, nah, man. Like, go on your own terms, man. You know what I mean? Like, Look at what you've done and look at all the people that's running around coming out now that came out after you, you know, like you good. Like you, you one of them ones, man. Like, nah, like you, you got it under control. You got this thing locked. Go for it. You know what I mean? Like right. keep, keep going for it. Not, right. you know what I'm saying? Like keep doing your thing. Like you, what you talking about? Like this, don't let them tell you when to go. And then I was just like, yo, you know what? You got a point. You're right. And, and when we got off the phone, I sat and thought about it for a while. And I said, you know what? I think I got a few more seasons in me. You know what I mean? I think I, I still, I think I might be out here Chris Paul or something. I, I think I got a few more seasons left. 
Dope, dope. Shout out to Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns, man. <laughs> Making it happen. So what was it just Fonte's words or were there like other factors that kept you, that motivated you to continue keeping on? I mean, I'm a fan of the music. I love the music. I love to create. I love creating music. I, I love the sport and the art and the culture of lyricism. I love writing and telling stories. And I get excited when I hear new beats. I get excited when I think of certain lines. You know, it, I get excited at all that. You know, I get excited when I hear other MCs or whatever. I get excited about that. So that was a part of it, too. Uh, Tay was a big part of it. But that was a part of it, too. Just that excitement. You know, when you don't have the passion no more and the excitement, that's when you leave it alone. I still had it. Good, and I still good. had the excitement for it. And I said, okay, that and my man kind of breaking it down a certain way. Let's rock a little more. Well, I'm happy that you continued, man. And I don't know how much more you got, but like, <laughs> you know, you you keep the you keep the culture of hip hop exciting, particularly from a lyricist standpoint. Um, wow. You know, when you're looking for that new record and you're like, man, I don't know. This month, I'm not really feeling what's coming out on the last couple months. And you hear Sky Zoo is dropping the album. You know what you're getting because you know it's going to be of quality. So I appreciate you continuing Man, on. I, I, I pride myself on everything you just said. You know, I tell people all the time when they're uh, asking for advice, I say what you want to do is have equity with people, right? You want people to feel like if I go there, I know what I'm going for. You got a pizza shop around the corner from your house. You grew up there. You go there all the time. You know they got the best pizza in the neighborhood, in the borough, whatever. One day you walk into the pizza shop and they whipping out Mexican food. It's still a pizza shop, the sign, inside, everything. But they whipping out Mexican food. And you're like, what are we doing? I didn't come here for that. I came here for pizza. If I wanted the Mexican spot, I would have went two blocks away to the Mexican spot. Right. I came here for pizza. Why are you showing me tacos and burritos and you know nachos and whatever whatever you know what i can't trust this pizza shop no more because i don't know what y'all gonna do tomorrow that's the equivalent of it you don't want to be an artist who people come to you knowing it's one thing and then one day they come to you looking for that one thing and you give them something else now they can't trust you but as long as you continue to give them what they know they coming to you for you'll never lose them yeah. I know if I want pizza, I go to that spot. I mean, I want pizza every day. Some days I may want, you know, Chinese food. I got to go see Migos, you know what I'm saying, or whatever it is. But I know when I'm looking for this, I know I'm looking for soul food. I got to go see Sky Zoo. Indeed. And I'm good. Now, if Sky Zoo whips out some Chinese food one day, or now we got a problem. I can't trust them no more. So that's, that's what all that's about. Word, word. Very well said, man. Thank you for sharing that. So, Sky, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this project, man. I think uh, for, for people listening that have heard the album or maybe haven't heard the album, it will serve as an intriguing interest for them to go back to the record or to go to the record for the first time. Um, so I did want to talk to you about Milestones. It's not going to be long, but I just wanted to see if you had still a little bit more time to talk about that. Yeah, we, we, we could kick it for a minute or two about that because it's a, a very special and important project. Yes. Know, so we can definitely build on that. Thank you, man. Thank you. And I know with Father's Day coming up, it's just absolutely to, to really touch on. So I thought that this EP, I said it earlier, was like it was 
it was my favorite EP of last year. Were you calling it an EP by chance? Yeah, because okay, it's, it's, like it's, yeah. it's, it's only seven songs. Right. So it's an EP. So it was my favorite EP released last year, hands down. Uh, such a meaningful project, such a dope project and meaningful as it relates to fatherhood. What inspired you to, to, to do this project and what was the goal you intended for the message? Well, I was inspired by, you know, my son and my pops and the lack of positive father records in hip hop. Um, you know, you got a few. Will Smith, just the two of us, of course. One of those ones that takes the cake, you know, Nas, daughters. But even with daughters, he talks about the moments that he slipped up and he wasn't the best father because he was on tour and all these different things, which I think is beautiful that he was able to be that vulnerable and that open hearted and, and honest. But then a lot of the records, too, that are classic records, you know, be a father to your child. LL Cool J had father. Uh, you know, there's a lot of records that talk about fatherhood and the father not being there. And I didn't think that that was true across the board. Everybody in hip hop isn't fatherless. Mm. Everybody listening to hip hop isn't fatherless. But for whatever reason, the light only gets shown on I'm fatherless and I did it on my own and I was the man in the house. It was me and my moms and my two brothers or my whatever. That can't that narrative can't be true throughout hip hop. So I wanted to make something that represented for the people who had both their parents, the people who had fathers the people who are fathers to their kids every day you know shout to my man terminology with the whole good dad gang movement things like that where that's a reality you could be a rapper and spit and be crazy and be the hardest and be the illest and also be a father uh, an incredible father you could be a rapper and spit the hardest and be the most whatever whatever and have grown up with your father that doesn't make you less of a man it makes you more of a man mm -hmm. it doesn't make you soft it makes you iller it makes you more thorough because you have that strong backbone behind you to teach you what and who to be. And that was it. Very well said, man. The song on the album, I mean, every, I mean, on the EP, all of those songs really like stand out. I don't think there's a skippable track on there, which is why it was like my favorite EP of 2020. There's a song called At Least I Got One. Uh, and you say in one of the lyrics that, you never hide the fact that your dad ain't never hide. In other words, you were proud of the fact that your dad was fully present in your life. Right. Considering the fact that a lot of the youth that grow up in the hood grow up without their fathers, you know, in their life, which I, you also acknowledge that on the song as well. When you think about your youth, what are some things you noticed that you benefited from that your peers without fathers didn't have? Just having that that extra set of eyes and set of hands for advice and to make sure I didn't get too far out there and too far gone. I mean, I was definitely outside. I was the kid who never liked to be in the house. I was definitely outside all day, all night. I was definitely coming home late once I was of a certain age, you know, but just having that extra set of eyes and, and ears and hands to keep me in check. Like, all right, now hold up. We're not doing all that. You know, we're not going to let this happen this way. We're not going to let you slip through these cracks because most of my friends, the majority of them slipped through the cracks in one way or another. Some of them slipped through accidentally. Some of them was pushed through. Some of them jumped through. And I had people in my house, mother and father, who was like, we're not going to let that happen. You know, and a lot of the ones who that happened to, they didn't have a father. Mm. That's part of why they slipped through those cracks. Or maybe that's the main reason they slipped through those cracks where me. I had somebody to make sure, uh-uh, like I said, on memory serves me, 
you know, I had somebody that was looking like, uh, uh-uh, nope, get back in here, you know, and that that's what it was about. Got it, got it. In you becoming a father yourself, as I understand, you're a father now. How has fatherhood impacted your outlook on success? Oh, it's everything. You know, you think about uh, what you want to teach your child, how you want to teach your child, how you want to raise your child. Uh, you worry. You, you think about how much success you've had. And how much more you want to go get, because in this game, to go get it, you got to pull yourself away from your family. So you put the value on, you know, what's worth leaving the house every day now and not, you know, do I have to go mm-hmm. do this tour for six months? Do I have to go do this and do that? And do because you now you're taking away time from this little life that is looking for you to mold them and guide them in a certain way. So, you know, for me, I just want to be successful and, you know, do stuff that he can be proud of and look back and be like, yeah, that was my dad who did all that, who made all that music. That was my dad who raised me while he was making that music. And those Mm -hmm. things are important. Yeah. And it's so dope that you gave recognition to your dad throughout this record, but also now your son could also listen to this record and get some jewels from you in addition to the jewels that you give just on a regular with him so um another one of the really dope records on that ep is called turning 10 uh it's such a dope song um what makes turning 10 such a pivotal age for a son to go live with their responsible co-parenting father well, there's so many things that you start to learn when you turn 10 years old that uh, you need a man to show you. You know, a man can't really show a, a girl how to be a woman and a woman can't really show a boy how to be a man. It's just what it is. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful at raising that child if you're in that circumstance, but you shouldn't have to. That's why it takes two parents instead of one. So in that sense, it's really just about uh the world changes when you're around 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. You start noticing the world differently. You start developing differently as far as your body. You start noticing certain things. You're noticing little girls now. You're noticing all these different things, and you start feeling this wave of responsibility while still only being 10, 11 years old. Right. And you need somebody to guide you in those ways and show you how to navigate that so that you don't make mistakes. You know, I knew kids that was 11 years old who – thought they had somebody pregnant, you know, mm. at 11. So, like, I, I knew, I know those stories. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, kids I went to school with, friends who we was in fifth, sixth grade, and it was like, yo, I think I got so-and-so pregnant. You know, like, I, you need somebody in the house to prevent that from ever being a conversation you have to have. Right, right. And that's what that's about. Wow. You know, when I heard the record, it's not a a topic of discussion that I I can say I've ever heard before, but it kind of made sense. Right. Um, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, 10 is that age that, you know, uh, you know, certain things starts to change, you know, particularly for a boy, um, that, um, where their dad becomes a little bit more important in their lives, providing that the dad is a responsible dad as well. Right. Right. That part is extremely important. You can't just send the kid, to live with the with the dude and the dude is a knucklehead. Like, no, you yeah. better off being with the mom. You know what I mean? So Yeah, and I thought it was dope that you even spoke about that a little bit in the in the song. You you had I think you had a, a small verse where you were talking a verse. to a woman who 
didn't have that, you know, like the dad was like a deadbeat dad and you kind of mm-hmm. gave some insight to her as well. So it was cool that you, you put that in, you know, it's not a long part of it, but you did kind of include, you know, that part, you know, uh, a solution yeah. to that part as well. So, yeah, man. So the last track on the EP is called Duly Noted. And it's kind of like you in this kind of spoken word uh, approach, you know, as as far as um, your vocals come across. You talk about some of the positive things you learned from your dad. You talk about learning to stand up for yourself. Always look people in the eye and never be afraid to ask or inquire. Never respect anyone who won't feel the same for you and your kind and be celebrated, never tolerated. They'll, ne- they'll either love you or hate it. It's, it's one of those things, you know, to get the advice, right? To get that advice growing up and for, you know, your dad or your parent to instill that kind of confidence and that stand-upness in you. But it's another thing to actually put, in, put it into action when the time comes. What was at the root of you being able to actually stand up and speak for yourself in moments when you were called to? That's just growing up knowing that that was what I had to do. And that was something I learned from both of my parents, you know, Mm -hmm. not just my dad, but both of my parents, you know, uh, having both of my parents in my life 24 seven, that was just something I always was taught to do, you know, to never be afraid to stand up, never be afraid to speak up for yourself, never be afraid to be around certain types of people in different walks of life. It was all important, you know, and when the time, whenever the time will come, even to this day where I have to utilize those morals and, and those values, I can, you know, and that's, yeah. that's very important. Wow. So would you say it was like the constant instilling in you that gave you that confidence? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, man. It's such a, uh, uh, I want to say a virtue, like to be able to do that because sometimes when you speak up for yourself, you're actually speaking up for others as well that might not be confident enough to speak up for themselves. So right. it, it's dope when a child is able to get, um, those those jewels or those guides to be confident in themselves and it can you know because it it um it, it goes a long way man so mm-hmm. listen sky thank you so much for taking the extra time to talk yeah about- we, we we did an hour and a half i know oh, you wanted an hour and a half we did it <laughs> i appreciate it my brother no um, in closing um i know that the new record is fresh out the new album all the brilliant things um, any last things you want to say to the people in regards to the record? How would you like them to receive it? Like, what is the one major thing you want them to take away? I just want people to really listen to it, tap into it, you know, really get to the bottom of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it the way I am. The value of it, how important it is and what it means to us as a people, you know, for our, for our neighborhoods, for our homes, for our culture, for the things that we've created. You know, we're the only group of people the only race and creed of people who we let this thing happen we create something we let someone take it we come up with something we let someone take it and then when they take it we let them dictate what is and what isn't with it moving forward they tell us what's hip-hop they tell us what's black they tell us what's urban they tell us what's fashion wait a minute we started all this how can you tell us what's that you can't but we're the only ones that let that happen. These other people don't let that happen. And I commend everyone else for not letting that happen because that's admirable. And it's something that's extremely important. And I respect the hell out of that. And it's something we need to learn to do. So maybe this is one of those first steps into us doing that and us taking back the control 
of certain narratives and control of the things that we created and, and, and where we live and what we're about. And that's all it is. Wonderful, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I know the year is like we're at mid 2021. Uh, is there anything else, even if it's attached to this record uh, that people should know about, you know, what you have coming up next? Just, you know, shows, videos, things of that nature. You know, there's no more albums coming out this year. You right, know what right. I mean? Like, there's definitely just this, you know, and, and I'm all about pushing this through the roof. But videos and and um, and shows, touring, things of that nature, different merch, a lot of things that's coming out to reflect and represent the album. Yeah, man. I think you should do a video for Bodega Flowers. I, I really like that record, man. We're going to see. We're yeah. going to see. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Sky, thank you so much again, man. I want to wish you all the best, continued success. Thank uh, you. And I'm going to keep on looking, man. Uh, hopefully you still got more records and you will continue to, you know, with the years to come, continue to yeah. put out music. But either way, I appreciate all of the efforts you've, uh, you know, you've given so far musically, man. But no, this record... keep it going, man. I appreciate the love and I appreciate the time right here on Out The Box TV. Indeed, man. Indeed, man. So, uh, family, make sure y'all go take a, you know, go get that new Sky Zoo album. It's on Bandcamp. It's on it's on all the streaming platforms, right? You want to plug the, Apple, the sites? Yeah. Spotify, everything. Wherever you get your music. iTunes, wherever you buy it. The, the CDs is out online. The vinyl is coming out in late July. It's out everywhere. Every, every format and platform, we got you covered. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, man. So, yeah, make sure y'all go check that out and support it, man. It's high-quality hip-hop. Remember, remember to go to our website, outtheboxmedia.com, to keep connected with all the dope interviews we've had in the past as well as what we have coming up next. Thank you again to my brother, Sky Zoo. Till our next episode will be next Friday. Keep it locked. You know, um, stay focused, stay healthy, stay safe. We are out of here and peace.